We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts. So naturally, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. So remember, our series is the beginning of our story. The book of Acts, the beginning of the church, the beginning of our story. And we have been looking at how Acts is a transitional book. And so we looked at the Gospels. So you have the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they very much different perspectives on the same story. The Gospel of John was written after Paul's epistles. And so there's a real overlap of teaching in the Gospel of John. But then we get to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is a transitional book from the Jewish Gospels to the church epistles, from the Apostle Peter to the Apostle Paul, from waiting for the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem to sending people out from Antioch. There's a real transition in the book of Acts. And so we looked at the Gospels and what that has for us. Now I want us to look at the distinction between the Gospels and the book of Romans, because Acts is going to take us from the law to grace. From the law to grace. So this morning, can we switch over to my keynote, guys? All right. So this morning, I want us to look at this doctrine of grace that we find in the book of Romans. Now, how many of you know that salvation is only by grace? That is, it's a free gift. There's nothing you can get. There's nothing you can do to get it. And there's nothing you can do to keep it. In theology, you have this, are are you a, a monergist or are you a synergist? I am a grace preacher. How many of you don't care about monergism or synergism? Would you raise your hand? You're just not interested. All right, so then we won't talk about it. But it is interesting how all these conversations happen, but when we just focus in on the scriptures, we just land on the doctrine of grace. How many of you are thankful for grace? Amen. And the songs this morning were so good. By the way, how many of you noticed a difference in the in the sound when you guys started? How many of you noticed that? It was awesome. I loved it. Great job. All right. So here's some important definitions. If we're going to understand grace, I was thinking about this. My friend Dalton Robertson, you all know, some of you haven't met him yet, you will. He said that he imagined when he was a young man, he was listening to a lot of William F. Buckley. How many of you remember him? He, kind of a blue blood founder of the... Uh, um, Oh, National Review magazine and very educated. And he said, I would listen to Buckley. And when I would preach, I imagined that I was sounding like William F. Buckley. He said, then I heard a tape of myself and he said, I sound like Gomer Pyle. So I'm kind of the same way. I imagine myself sounding like John MacArthur. And I listen to myself and I end up sounding like Alex Jones or something, you know. This morning, I want us to, we're going to focus in a little bit. This is going to be a little bit more academic this morning, but I think we'll find some shout in here too. It's going to be really fun. Let's get some important definitions if we're going to understand grace and the book of Romans. The first word is justification. We see that word a lot in the Bible, that we are justified So justification is God declaring a man righteous on the basis of the finished work of Christ. So I taught through 20 years, 20 years ago, Brent, probably that we taught through Romans. And every Sunday I would ask Brent for the definition of justification. 
in our Sunday school class. By the way, Brian Joins did my class, the best class today, and he did just a tremendous job. So I'm so thankful for him. But justification is God declaring a man righteous on the basis of the finished work of Christ, not on the basis of our works, not on our family, not where we were born, not what family we were born into. Justification is only based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. And it is a legal declaration. Then redemption. Redemption, what is that? The purchase by God of the sinner, spirit, soul, and body. The blood of Jesus Christ is the purchase price. Now, is my body saved yet? No. No. It will be. I'll be changed. All right? But I am as saved now as I will ever be. That is redemption, the purchase by God of the sinner, spirit, soul, and body. The blood of Jesus Christ is the purchase price. Ephesians 1 says that we are waiting for the redemption of the body, that we're waiting. What's that? That's the rapture. Jesus Christ is going to take us out and we'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. And what are we going to be changed into? We're going to be changed into a body like that body that Jesus Christ has, a sinless body. Man, I can't wait for that. And remember the amount of power it takes for my body to be changed into a body like Jesus Christ's. According to the book of Philippians, it's the power whereby he can subdue all things. Here's how much power it takes to change my vile body, the Bible says, into a body like his. The amount of power it takes to subdue everything that is. You know what the good news is? Jesus has that power. So redemption, this is the purchase by God of the sinner. Propitiation. So 1 John 2, 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. What does propitiation mean? What's the definition of that? It is appeasement or conciliation of the enmity between God and man through the offering of Jesus Christ. It's appeasement or conciliation of the enmity. So we need to define what enmity is, but what we see here is it's peace. It is peace between two warring parties. Uh, when I was in Bible college, Keith Kaiser was my teacher, and he gave me my my fa- he gave us my favorite definition of propitiation. When Jesus Christ died and paid for sin, I was rendered savable because Jesus paid the price. Man can be saved. We couldn't be saved. If Jesus hadn't died, there's no salvation. And so propitiation is where Jesus Christ rendered us savable. Next, enmity. So let's define that. So it is the quality of being an enemy. It's hard for us to understand that every lost person is an enemy of God. They're an enemy of God. Remember I told you I was preaching down at James Knox's church. And on the way there, there was another church that I drove by... And on the side of their building was this huge sign that says, God's not mad at you. Well, if you're saved, he's not. But the Bible says he's angry with the wicked every day. If you're not born again, God is mad at you. You are are at war with him. You are an enemy of his. I think it was Voltaire when he was dying. Someone said, have you made peace with God? And he said, I didn't know that we had ever quarreled. Well, really? Then you need to understand what the Bible says. 
that every lost person, every person that has not placed their faith and trust in Christ alone for their eternal life, repentance toward God, faith toward Jesus Christ, if you're outside of that, you are an enemy of God. How many of you are thankful that you are at peace with God now? Because Jesus Christ is your Savior. So the quality of being an enmity is the quality of being an enemy. The opposite of friendship, ill will, hatred, unfriendly dispositions, malevolence. That's the state between God and man. Apart from the gospel. Apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. It expresses more than aversion and less than malice. And differs from displeasure in denoting a fixed or rooted hatred, whereas displeasure is more transient. This is, you know, because we understand John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. How many of you know that God loves everyone? Right? But here's the problem. When you're lost and God sees you, here's what he sees. Your sin. God can't look on sin. He hates it. How many of you know that God hates sin? We we really need to we need to think about this a lot. God has God changed his mind about sin? No, no. This is why we need the blood of Jesus Christ. It cleanses us from all sin. But it expresses more than aversion and less than malice and differs from displeasure in denoting a fixed or rooted hatred, whereas displeasure is more transient. This is not just displeasure. But what is reconciliation? This is so fun. We're reconciled by the gospel. This is the uniting of two parties formerly at war. Have you been reconciled? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Praise God. That reconciliation. And it's fun. Sometimes you can have a falling out with a friend and then you reconcile. And what a beautiful thing that is. Or husbands and wives, you can fight. But the reconciliation is such a wonderful thing. This is so much better than that because this is, we were at eternal war and that eternal war means a Christless eternity in hell because in case you didn't know, God wins, right? But here's the good news. This reconciliation is also eternal and I'm reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. Then this one's fun. Reciprocal indwelling. Reciprocal indwelling. What is that? It is the believer being placed in Christ and Christ coming to reside in the believer. Romans says, if any man hath not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And then 1 Corinthians also says that we are all baptized by one spirit into one body. So we are baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. We are the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Ghost. He's in us. Isn't that a blessing? That's the, that's the reciprocal indwelling. That didn't happen before Acts. That began at Acts. Remember what Jesus said. The, the Spirit, which is with you and shall be in you. When Peter was, uh, he, he had just ministered to uh, Cornelius and preached the gospel to Cornelius and the Italian band. And then the apostles are, are questioning him about it. The other guys are, what are you doing talking to these Gentiles? And listen to what Peter said. The Holy Spirit fell on them as he did on us at the beginning. Everything changed when the Holy Spirit was sent at Pentecost. Everything changed. And so this reciprocal indwelling, it changes everything. And this is all about grace. This is all that process of grace. Then salvation. 
What is salvation? God delivering man from the penalty of sin. God delivering man from the penalty of sin, and that takes place at conversion. How many of you are glad that you don't have to go to hell? But salvation is so much more than that. Salvation is saving me from hell, but it's also reconciling me to God because now I am also saved from the power of sin, and that's that's my daily blessing. Now, can we be honest? Let's just testify a little bit. Let's just this will be a help to the people around you. How many of you have not personally defeated sin in your life? Would you raise your hand? How many of you have not? You, you still sin. Some of you didn't raise your hands, and I'm going. I have pictures. We're going to show those right now. I knew you wouldn't. And we're going to show what you've been doing. It, it, it is true, all of us. In my flesh that is in me, there dwelleth no good thing. But here's the deal. I don't have to sin. Because now I have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in me. So I am saved from the penalty of sin. That's a conversion from the power of sin. That's every day. And ultimately from the presence of sin. I mean, I just, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. That's salvation. But let's go to Romans. Look at Romans 1, and then we're going to go to Romans 5. So Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So immediately what we have here, this is so different from anything that happened in the Gospels. We are introduced to Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord. That's, this is the way the book of Romans begins. And then look at what it says in verse 5. By whom, this is Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. So he received apostleship. Now you're not an apostle. Amen. Jesus commends the church at Ephesus. He says, because thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. I'm not an apostle. You're not an apostle. But we did receive something that Paul got by whom we have received grace, grace. And we're going to be defining that this morning. Go to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by works, being justified by baptism, being justified because I was born into the right family, I'm a child of promise. No, 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 no. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It's interesting. We don't stand in faith. We stand in grace. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself. Here, here's the deal. This is such, so important. My salvation is not kept by my faith. My salvation is kept by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. I have access to that grace by faith. What is that? That I believe what God said. And I receive the free gift. Salvation is a gift. 
For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You receive Jesus as a gift. That's what grace is. How do you get the gift? By faith. By faith. And if a faith, then not of works. What a blessing. So, verse 2 again. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We're going to be glorified. We're going to be made like Him. Praise the Lord. So, let's talk about the reality of grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor and blessing. There's nothing you can do to deserve the grace of God. So, um, this past week, I was in Colorado. And from Tuesday to Thursday, John Moore, remember you met him, he helped design all of this and helped us build our building. Um, he might not want me to tell you this, but I'll just tell you. He flew me to Colorado, he paid for all of my meals, and he is developing, I, I want to be productive for the next 10 years, and so he has developed a life plan for me. He's investing in me, helping me to get some of the books written that I want to write and helping me with my study time and church administrative time and all of those things. He, he's, he's giving me all of that. Uh, we were filling up the car, getting ready to go to the airport. And so I got out. I was getting my credit card out. He said, don't do anything foolish. And I told him, I feel like a mooch. It was so humbling. For so, imagine somebody really important, really busy, very successful man, and he took three days out of his very special, very very busy schedule. He's building 500 houses right now, okay, in one project, and 300 houses in another project, and 500 houses in another project, and he took three days off to spend with me. And it was, I, I don't know. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And all of us have had people invest in us in a way that we say, man, I don't deserve this. Jacob, you should have felt that way every day of your life living in my house. Listen. Listen. When we're given a gift that is something special, something profound, when, when your baby is born and you, you look at that child and you say, I wish this was my grandchild because they're better. When you look at that child for the first time, there is such a feeling of unworthiness. Amen? New birth is the same way. God's grace is unmerited favor and blessing, and it is a completely undeserved gift. It is a completely undeserved gift. Three words in the book, three key words in the book of Romans. So this is going to be fun. This is, this is, encapsulating the whole book of Romans in one message. So three key words, all. Okay, everybody, what does all mean? All means all, and that's all that all means. Okay, all. We and justified. These are the three key words in the book of Romans. So let's look at some of this, all. The Bible says in, in Romans 3, 9, that we're all under sin. All under sin. All have sinned, 323. God's Son was delivered up for us all, 832. So he could freely give us all things, 832. 
the same Lord is over all. You know, I, I think I mentioned to you probably several times, Christopher Hitchens, I saw him interviewed before he died, and I may have just said this last week, but he said, um, somebody asked him, what if when you die you find out that, that there really is a God? And he said, well, then I'll say you didn't persuade me. You didn't give me enough evidence. But I can tell you this, I won't bow. Want to bet? The same Lord over all. What, what else? He, he is rich. This Lord is rich unto all them that call upon him, all of them. Now, the God of peace be with you all. So, that, that word all, it's all through the book of Romans. What about we? Well, in the past, we were yet without strength. We were yet sinners. We were enemies. But what about us now? We have peace, Romans 5.1. We have access by faith wherein we stand, 5.2. We glory in tribulations. Maybe, how many of you would say that maybe you've not grown to the place where you can glory in your tribulations? I kind of cuss in my tribulations. You know, how many of you, that's, you, you, how many, be honest, you've not gotten to where you glory in your tribulations yet. And some of that is because we're pretty blessed. We don't really have that many tribulations. But this is a, a, an act of maturity. We also joy in God. We have now received the atonement. What is the atonement? A satisfactory payment. Praise God. But in the future, we shall be saved from wrath, Romans 5, 9. How many of you are glad that you don't have to go through the wrath to come? Oh, praise the Lord for that. We're saved from wrath. But what about justified? What does Romans say about justification? We're justified freely by His grace in 3.24. We're justified by faith, not by works in 3.28 and 5.1. We're justified not by works in Romans 4.2. We're justified by His blood. Isn't it interesting that there are still churches that teach a works salvation when the Bible is so clear about it? Let's see if it's clear. Not by works. How many of you have a hard time understanding that? Okay, by works, not. Not by works. And yet there are still works-based faith. And it's just not a biblical doctrine. We're justified. We're declared righteous by his blood. So let's look at grace a little bit. Look at Romans chapter 5 again. Look at verse 12. So remember what we're talking about. The book of Acts is a transition from the law to grace. Now, even under the law, people only got saved by grace, right? But we have an understanding of grace that the Old Testament people could never have understood because it wasn't revealed. Look at verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon who? All men, for that who? All have sinned. Okay, let me ask you a question, all right? You have to play along. How many of you were born? Okay, that means that you're a sinner, right? Adam is the federal head of all mankind. Because Adam sinned, we're sinners. But here's the good news, verse 8. Therefore, I'm sorry, verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the Bible calls him the second Adam, Jesus Christ, 
Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, my my righteousness doesn't exist. I have a foreign righteousness that I put on, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. And that righteousness is forever. You know, there are some arguments about the peccability or impeccability of Jesus. Could Jesus Christ have sinned when he was here on earth? There's disagreement about that. I don't think he could have because if he could have sinned on earth, he could still sin now. And then our, 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 our security is not sure. Jesus Christ, the sinless one, the sinless one. I know this. He never will sin. Amen. What a wonderful thing. Grace. So let's wrap this up. Every Baptist's favorite statement. Let's, let's finish this. But the moment you trust in Christ, you are declared to be righteous before God. God not only gives you his righteousness, but he makes a legal declaration that you are righteous and your sins have been completely paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. So picture yourself in the courtroom. You're a sinner. You're guilty. You know that you're guilty. And Jesus stands up and says, I'll take the penalty. I'll take it. And God says, based on his righteousness, you are not guilty. You know, it's my favorite analogy. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I'm so sinful, I'm covered up in sin. You can't see me. Jesus is completely clean. Here's what it says. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. On the cross, God treated Jesus the way I deserve to be treated so that he could treat me the way Jesus deserves to be treated. That's grace. That's grace. What an amazing thing. It is completely paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Before you were saved, you were at war with God the fact that God, through the Holy Spirit, makes peace overtures to the lost does not change their status. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The fact that God loves everyone does not mean that everyone is safe. The gift has to be received. Repentance has to be made. Acknowledgement of the Lord has to happen. But it's free. It's free. That state of war between you and God remains until you are reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. When you trust Christ as Savior, you are absolved of your war crimes against God because someone has already died in your place. The peace treaty. Between you and God was signed by God in his own blood and ratified by your faith. It's interesting. 
the handwriting of ordinances that was written against us was taken out of the way, being nailed to the cross. Amen? Your penalty is paid. The question is, are you going to accept the payment? See, people who don't trust in Christ, people who don't believe, people who won't follow Christ, here's what they do. They're in that courtroom. Jesus Christ is saying, I paid it. I paid it. The one at war with God looks at Jesus and says, I don't want your payment. And so what do they get? The penalty. That is their choice. That is their choice. And the thing that they don't understand is they were condemned before they walked into the courtroom. They're condemned already, the Bible says. We are already under the the righteous condemnation of God. And Jesus is going to take that out of the way for us if we'll place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for our eternal life. We can't do it on our own, amen? Only through Jesus. One of the other things that I like to say is that Jesus doesn't need our help. You know, our faith, our faith is not a work. Amen? It's simply receiving the gift. Jason, come on up here. There might be someone here who has not seen this. So I've got this pen. It's a Pelican M8805 Stressamon. Lovely fountain pen. Andy's favorite thing in the world. I want to make this a gift to you. What do you have to do to make it yours? Just take it. Now, in order to keep it, You've got to wash my car every week for the next 10 years and pay into my retirement. Why'd you give it back? Because it's not a gift. Thank you. He's got facial hair. What's up with this? (laughs) It's a gift. That's the way salvation is described in Scripture, and that's the way it is received. You know... There's a difference between being raised in a Christian home and being a Christian. There's a difference between attending a Christian church and being a Christian. I I am fairly certain that there are people in this room who have attended this church many times or a church like us many times. You've heard the gospel many times. You know what it is. You know what sin is. You know who Jesus is. You know about his death, his burial, his resurrection. You know about his virgin birth. You know about all these things. You know about hell. You know about heaven. But you have never made the transaction where you have given him your sin and he gives you his righteousness. You see, knowing something is not salvation. Faith. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life? It's the ultimate question. That's what grace is about. The book of Acts is all about these men learning about how to preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. What that means, the the learning that there's salvation in none other name but Jesus Christ. There's only one name given under heaven among men whereby you must be saved. It's only Jesus. They didn't know that. And so this learning process of what a church is supposed to be from the law to grace, we know what grace is. 
The problem doctrinally comes when we are trying to take grace doctrine and mix it with the law. And that is, the book of Acts has led to so many, a misinterpretation of Acts has led to so many doctrinal errors. So we've looked at the Jewish Gospels. Now we've looked at grace in the book of Romans. We're going to look at salvation here in a couple of weeks and understanding what, what is the doctrine of salvation? How does that work in Scripture? What are we saved from? As we're getting ready for the fair ministry, we need to understand how important all of this is because there are going to be Christians, Christians who come through that don't know anything about grace alone. How many of you are thankful for grace alone? If you're thankful for grace, stand up. Lord, we love you. We don't deserve it. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you that our story was begun in grace. Thank you that our story was begun with you being willing to love us so much that you were willing to die on the cross for us.